Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Pastor Philip, thank you, worship team. A fantastic way to start. I, uh, I don't know about you, but my love tank was filled by some of those hymns. Uh, I just thought it was appropriate that we start the new year with holy, holy, holy. How great thou art. That's how we should start every day. I've told you a hundred times, one of my favorite lines from a pastor, he lives up in Atlanta, uh, Louis Giglio. He says every morning when he wakes up, his feet hit the ground. He looks up at the ceiling and he says, you are God and I am not. (laughs) That's a good reminder, not just for January 1st or January 2nd, but pretty much for every day. So thank you, Ben, for leading us in that time of worship. It is New Year's. It is a new year. Time for a new resolve. Now, I didn't say New Year's resolutions. You may have already prepared your list. Maybe, maybe you're still living your list. It is, after all, only January 2nd. So let's, let's see how it's going. I, I've looked up on, on the internet. I've done, I've done hours, well, okay, minutes of research in this, and I've discovered the most popular New Year's resolutions. What do you think number one is? Exactly. Number one, most popular New Year's resolution in America, at least, is lose weight. Number two is get out of debt. Yeah, okay, I guess Christmas right behind us. It's time to do that. Number three, spend more time with family. I like that. That's a good one. Number four, stop being so stressed. Yeah, that's a good one, number four. Number five, I didn't see coming. How about this one? Number five, most popular New Year's resolution in America is to volunteer more. Pastor Chuck, where are you? We got a bunch of folks. There you go. Yeah, they just, they just outed themselves. They want to volunteer more. Pastor Chuck is coming. Now, we don't always keep our resolutions, and that's pretty much par for the course. You're not alone. Here are the top three reasons why we don't keep our resolutions much longer than, well, January 2nd. Here's number one. The most uh, popular reason for not keeping a resolution is unrealistic goals, all right? You aimed a little too high. Don't forget who you are, where you came from. Number two, you made too many goals, well, you know, especially guys, you know, we're, we're doing good if we can do one thing at a time. You know, we're not girls after all. Number three, number three most popular reason why resolutions fail is you forgot your resolutions. Okay, there you have it. <laughs> There you have it. Well, folks, this is, this is not a New Year's resolutions talk. This is not some kind of pop psychology. You got enough of that on the television, on the internet, and from your, from your friends sharing their little tweets they read online. This is, this is God's word. We're going to dig into God's word today to understand not, not, not what, a, what a resolution is or, or should be. Resolutions nowadays, that word has lost its meaning. It, it's really nothing more than a wish or a hope or a want to or something I'd love to see changed in my life or in my family. It's almost, almost meaningless. Not quite, but almost. The difference is, and what I believe God is calling us to do, is to resolve to do something. That is a, that is a determination. Setting your mind, your heart, your spirit towards something. Putting all of your energy towards something. Pushing in one direction to resolve to do something. The Bible story we're about to read, read, we're going to discover how God calls us as his people, as his children, to resolve to do three things. But here's the good news. Right after he calls us to do that, he then comes behind that and says, here's the deal. 
I, your God, the God of the universe, I resolve to do the following three things. This is a fantastic story. In fact, let me, let me read it for you, and I think you're going to love it. When was the last time you read out of the book of Haggai? Exactly, and that's why we're doing it. Turn to the book of Haggai. It's really easy. Well, super easy if you just aim your camera at the, uh, the QR code, then it comes up kind of automatically, or you can watch the screen behind me. But if you have one of those old-fashioned paper Bibles, go to the New Testament. Remember Matthew. That's how it starts, right? Just go back a couple books, three books, I think, and you'll find Haggai. That's the cheater's way to find Haggai. Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to dig into this story, and I believe God's going to show us what our resolutions and resolves should look like for 2022 because folks I am super excited I know I know 2021 was great we didn't really couldn't really say that about the year before that the the year whose name we will never mention but 2021 wasn't bad but I know that God has huge things planned for 2022 and this is how I would love to see us as a church family begin that year so look at uh, Haggai right chapter 2 verse 1 there it is On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, wait, governor of Judah. Hold on, tech team, stop right there. There's a bunch more to the story. Don't worry, I'm going to read the whole story. I'm not going to skip anything out of God's word, but let me just stop here for a little break. In fact, I think it's important to give you guys a little bit of backstory. Don't worry, it may sound like a history lesson, but it really has a lot to do with what I believe God wants to tell us today and what God wants to do through us in this whole year. So let me, let me just jump back and go into teacher mode for a second here. This word governor of Judah, that may throw some of you off because you may remember that Israel doesn't, Judah doesn't have governors, they have kings. You remember what they said? They said, oh, daddy, daddy, we want to be a nation like all the other nations. We want to have a king. All the other nations around us. They have kings. We want one too. And God said, no, no, you don't need a king. I'm your king. Well, that worked for a while. And then they, then they started seeing how cool the other kings looked. And they wanted to be cool like the other kids. They said, we want our own king. He said, okay, I'll give you, I'll give you Saul. <laughs> and they were so excited because he was tall and good looking and really strong. They said, yes, that's exactly what we want. But it was nothing like what they needed. And as you can imagine, he fell on his face. But then came old King David and then King Solomon. I mean, really godly men. They're not perfect men. I don't mean it in that way. But godly men, men after God's heart, follow God's will. In fact, God even let Solomon, David's son, build this elaborate, incredible temple, the most elaborate building in its day in the entire world, the largest building in its day in the entire world. And that's what happened. But they fell on their face. Look at verse uh, in, in, uh, before we look at the verse, in, in the year 586 after the reign of Solomon, the enemy came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and destroyed this incredible temple, what they'd all been waiting for, what they'd all worked for, what they had all invested their lives into, it was gone. And then they were all taken away into exile. For almost 50 years, they were left in exile. About 538, about 50 years later, that king said, okay, I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to let a few of you go back and start rebuilding. It'll be nothing like it was before, but I'm going to let about 60,000 of you go back and see what you can do to kind of put things back together. In Jerusalem, they came back with a fire. They came back with excitement. They came back and said, we're finally home. Let's do this. We can do this. About 18 years later, we pick up with a story with Haggai, and they were out of breath. They were out of energy. And they were certainly out of excitement. 
Many, if not all of them, had thrown in the towel on rebuilding the temple. There was no way they could make the temple look like it used to look. Not all of them, but many of these 60,000 who came back, they were still old enough to remember. They had seen the original temple and what they were able to do with the minimal resources, the minimal labor, the minimal money, the minimal gold that they had was going to be nothing like the former temple. They said, well, if I can't make it like it used to look, if it's not going to be like I used to have, if this isn't going to turn out the way I have in my mind, then forget it. I'm going to go take care of my own family and my own farm and my own house and my own vineyards and kind of leave God's stuff in ruins. And that's where Haggai, in fact, uh, another guy, Ezra, we're not going to read him today, but he's another prophet kind of at the same time. They're both writing about this same story, but from different angles. Haggai, uh, excuse me, Ezra, he's focusing more on the, the attacks that these folks were getting from outside. You can imagine the folks were not happy when these guys came back. They had been ruling in the city of Jerusalem for, for 50 years, and now the old owners come back and think they own the place. They were just waiting, watching, hoping for these Israelites to fail. You ever been there? It's not a very comfortable feeling, is it? Friends, neighbors, workmates, schoolmates, your own kids, your own parents, family members, not believing in you, expecting, thinking that you're going to fail, fall on your face. They're just waiting for the day. The words, I told you so, are already on their lips. And that's where these folks were. And then Haggai, this standpoint that we're going to be reading today, he came at it from a different standpoint. He said, not, not just the enemy from without that's wagging their finger and waiting for us to fall on our faces, but the enemy within. He's calling the people of God out saying, you have turned your back on God. You are now self-serving rather than God-serving. And by being self-serving rather than God-serving, you are leaving God's temple and his city and the wall and all the incredible things that God still wanted to do. Don't worry, he, he, he took care of it all. The story of Nehemiah still comes in there. We'll get to that sometime during the year. But he starts talking to them about their heart and their spirit and their own personal take on what's going on there. So God is digging into that. So that's the whole backstory. So now, let's see what God would have us do. Because God gives these guys three different resolution. Resolve to do this. Resolve to do this. Resolve to do this. Three different things. And I believe God's going to teach us the same thing. Look now, uh, we're going to actually jump back to Haggai chapter 1 for the first one. Haggai chapter 1 verse 5 should come up on the screen. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Pay attention. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put it in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Again, give careful thought to your ways. You remember what we've said many times at your church. If you read something in the Bible, it's important, period. It's the word of God, period. But imagine the same word or same idea, the same sentence comes up two times in one little bitty chunk. Folks, that must be really, really important. The, the, the spiritual alarm should be going off. Pay attention, pay attention. This is going to be on the test. This is important. This is what God's trying to say. Number one, he's saying, uh, I resolve to watch my step. Give careful thought to your ways. Uh, the word ways there is pretty much your, your, your life path the path of your life, the, the, the course that your life is taking. So what is God saying? He's saying, I want you to stop. I want you to pay attention. 
I want you to think, in fact, Pastor Philip even mentioned this. He said, many of us spent January 1st in prayer, contemplation, meditation, reading God's word. God, what do you want for me? What do you want to do through me in 2021? Take that time and ask God, because here's the deal. Every decision you make, every choice that you make, that will greatly influence the course of your life. What you do today on January 2nd, 2022, will greatly influence what happens to you on December 31st of 2022. God is calling us to make the choices and not allow ourselves to be swept up or swept along by the culture. This week I was reading an article about uh, uh, from a uh, a professor at the, uh, the Wharton School of Business, kind of a famous school up there at Penn State, and he, uh, he does uh, industrial psychology, whatever that is, pretty much helping make sure uh, employees are, are healthy enough to keep working and, and bringing the stuff in, right? So, so he's discovered this phenomenon going on in America now that, that is interesting. I'm going to read just a little piece of, of how he describes this phenomenon, and I wonder, I wonder if he's describing you. There are days when, in these words, I know he's describing me, especially in these last years. Let me read some of the words that he wrote in this article about folks in America in 2021 and 22. It's not burnout. We still have energy. It's not really depression. We didn't feel hopeless enough. We just felt somewhat joyless and aimless. It turns out there's a name for that. It's called languishing. Languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. In psychology, we think about mental health on a spectrum from depression all the way to flourishing. Flourishing is a peak of well-being. You have a strong sense of meaning, of mastery, and mattering to others. Depression is the valley of ill-being. You feel despondent and drained and worthless. Languishing is that neglected middle child of mental health. It's the void between depression and flourishing, the absence of well-being. You don't have the symptoms of mental illness, but you're not the picture of mental health either. You're not functioning at full capacity. Languishing dulls your motivation, disrupts your ability to focus, and triples the odds that you'll cut back on work and life. This describes so many of us in our American culture today. Praise God that things like depression have been named and, 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 and focused on and, and prayed for and, and counseled for. But there's this, there's this middle population that's stuck between those two worlds. And, and, and by putting a name to it, we're able to focus on it. That's the problem with our culture today. We are being swept along rather than stopping and making choices, wise, godly choices, obviously. But you must choose not to choose. Choose is to choose. God is calling us. God is calling us to not allow the culture or, 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 or the apathy or the, the dullness of our sensitivities to be washed along in this world. God is calling us to make those choices. Second resolve is this. I resolve to be strong. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Now, why do they need to be strong? Well, let me just skip back to verse 3 and explain it a little bit. 
Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? Remember what I said before about, about all those folks that went away? All the Israelites that were carried away into exile, that king died. A new king came and said, you know what? I'm going to cut these guys some slack. I'm going to give them a chance. I'm going to let 60,000 of them go back. A bunch of those 60,000 were old enough to remember what the original temple looked like. They get back full of excitement, full of verve, ready to go, just like the rest of them. And when they get there, they see the ruins and they say, there's no way. It is impossible I mean, the, the 60,000 of us and the, the little bit of change we got in our pockets, we can't do nothing. We're a little bitty church, a couple hundred folks on Sunday morning at best. What can we do to change this city? And they threw in the towel, and, and God's saying, no, I'm calling you to be strong. In fact, uh, when, when Ezra is describing the same exact uh, uh, experience from his point of view, he said, on that day, the people came back, and, and the younger folks that had never seen it, they were still full of fervor and, and fire and ready to go. They were blowing trumpets, and, and they were excited. It was a big party for them. At the same time, the older folks who, who knew it could never be like it was, and, and rather than be excited about this new thing that God was doing, they were crying. In fact, the Bible says they were wailing so loudly that it overshadowed the sound of the jubilation, the celebration of the younger folks. And in the end, the Bible says it sounded to the people like noise. Here's the deal, folks. If there's not a common vision, if there's not a common vision for what God is and plans to do in this church, in your life, in your family, it's going to sound whatever we say, Oh, the pious, godly words we might occasionally spew in front of our friends and neighbors, it's going to sound to them like noise. You're like, well, what day is it today, Dave? Is it, is it hopeful, Dave, full of excitement for what the Lord's going to do? Or is it bummed out, depressed, Dave, because nothing's going the way you imagined it or had it in your mind, day, Dave? And it's going to get confusing for them. And in the end, they're going to say, hey, I can't understand a word these these religious folks are saying, I quit. God is calling us to have a sound, clear trumpet of joy and inviting them for the hope that we have. The hope that we have found is the hope that we share. In fact, in fact, if there's any two words in the entire message, the entire story of Haggai that I want you to pay attention to, is these two words. Listen. In chapter, in verse 4, it says, But now. Stop. No, no, literally, just stop. In the middle of the message, in the middle of the book of Haggai, in the middle of this story, God stops everything. He says, hold on, hold on. Listen, listen, pay attention. But right now, I don't care what came before or didn't come before. I don't care what may come in the future or may not come in the future. I want you to be right here, right now with me. Pay attention. Now, this is the only thing you have control over. You can't change what came in the past. You can't affect with your own power what's coming in the future. But right now, you can affect this right now. Be all in. Be right now with me. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Use the opportunity that God has given you. Live in this moment and be strong. This word, be strong, is, a, is an imperative. It's, it's a command when God's saying us to, to be strong. He's calling us to not, not kind of like, you know, the big strong man in the sky saying, suck it up, buttercup, it's, it's going to get better, or quit whining, quit complaining. That's not God at all. What he's saying is, in fact, uh, the definition of this word is actually, um, it's like a process, uh, you know, to get strong or even, even to get repaired. Isn't that an interesting twist? 
God's, God's calling us to, to get repaired. What in the world could that mean? We live, in a, we live in a throwaway culture. I mean, if it's not the newest, the shiniest, the fastest, the bestest, what do we do? We, we chuck it and we get a new one because the new one's shinier. The new one's faster. The new one's better. The new one's more popular, so we chuck the old one. God, don't play that game. God is invested in you. God wants to use you. God is calling you to, to get stronger, to, to get repaired so that he can put you back out there on the field. He can put you back out there in, in what he's doing in this world. None of us, if you made it here this morning, folks online, if you got out of bed and you turned on YouTube, if you made it here, I promise you, God ain't through with you yet. Get strong, get repaired, and God will put you back out there where he needs you. Number three, God also calls us to be resolved to get to work. God, God calls us to get to work. In verse four again, uh, be strong, declares the Lord, be strong, declares the Lord, be strong, declares the Lord, and get to work, for I am with you. This resolve to get to work, this, this wishing and waiting and wanting that the temple would be rebuilt, be rebuilt is, is almost meaningless. God is calling us, in fact, the, the word here is to do or to act or to produce something, to invest yourself into something. You remember that little talk we were doing about the article about languishing. We won't have time to read anymore, but if you read all the way to the end, as they're studying this phenomenon, they've, they found only one cure for languishing. Here it is. Pour yourself into a project that is bigger than yourself. Pour yourself into a project that you were invested in and you want to see the outcome of. In the article, they say even, even if, it's, if it's a huge puzzle that you've never built before, as long as you're invested in and you're, you're wanting to, you're desiring to see it completed, even that will help move you in the right direction. Obviously, as believers, you're so much bigger than a puzzle. God did not set you on this earth to be the puzzle master. God set you on this earth to, to share your life and give it away to your friends and your neighbors so that heaven gets fuller and fuller and fuller. If you want to invest yourself in something bigger. Folks, I've got some opportunities for you beginning next week when we start our brand new series, A Place to Belong. God will be showing us all kinds of things. Uh, we'll be redecorating the stage a little bit. In fact, um, beginning next week, our very own missionary, Miss Melissa, she'll be, she'll be teaching a class during the belong group time. Any of the belong groups that want to participate, they'll come back into the sanctuary. If you don't go to a belong group, that's fine. You can participate as well about how you can normally, easily, in, in a very natural way, share your faith with others. All of these ways you can pour yourself into something bigger than yourself. This is what God is calling us to do. Wishing and waiting only prevents us from starting what we have on hand. And then God, let me finish with these three. God God also resolves to do things in and through us. Also in verse 4, God says, And work, for I am with you. Now that sounds, that sounds cute. Kind of one of those cute little things you might uh, sew or, or needlepoint or, or maybe a little painting on your wall. God saying, I am with you. Kind of those, you know, uh, I'm in your corner. <laughs> God, uh, he's on your side. Uh, Got a little heart emoji from Jesus. It kind of one of those Christian platitudes, right? Is that, is that what we're reading here? Is, it, is this all this means that God's, he's, he's right there behind you? 
I, it kind of bugged me when I read this, because maybe because in our culture I get bombarded. I mean, even at Walmart, they have Christian placards all over the place, and we, we lose the true meaning of God's word. I dug into this word. It means none of those things. In fact, the word for I am with you, it's, it's the word for proximity. It actually means I'm against you. Like, like the God of the universe is skin on skin with you. So when God says, I'm with you, he's saying, I am literally touching you. There's nowhere you're going that I'm not going with you. There's no danger that's attacking you that I'm not right by you. I mean, you can feel my arm. You can feel my shoulder right on you. I told you guys many times I enjoy going lobstering with my cousin Doug. The only downside is we, we have to get up early that first morning. He wants to be in the water by 5 a.m. You know how dark it is at 5 a.m.? Now, imagine how dark the water is at 5 a.m. The same channel that we had been seeing uh, bull sharks swim up and down the night before, he's wanting me to get in the water with him at 5 a.m. There's not a chance in the world that I'm going to jump in that water at 5 a.m. <laughs> unless, unless my older cousin, bigger cousin, he's a marine biologist, works at SeaWorld, he knows his way around water. If Doug jumps in first, I'll go anywhere he goes. Here's the stupid thing. He's a little skinny guy. Those sharks take one look at him. They're swimming around him, coming right for me. But if he's in the water with me, I'll do anything he says. I ain't scared because Doug's with me. You got, that, uh, you got that, that appointment with the doctor. And you sense in your body and your heart what's coming. And you can't go alone. You grab your husband, your wife, your friend, your daughter and say, baby, come with me. I can't walk in there alone. This is what God's saying to you. When God says, I resolve to be with you, you will feel him skin on skin every step of your way, every place you go. There is no danger too great. He is always with you. Further, God resolves not only to stay close, God resolves to shake things up. Look at verse 6 and 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. What does God resolve to do? God resolves to shake it up. And I'm like, bring it, Lord, bring it. I can't wait. Well, thank you, Tim. That's so sweet of you. I walked all the way to the kitchen. I'm going to take a sip right now. Thank you. Oh, it's even cold. Tim, boy. God bless you, my brother. God, uh, God resolves to shake it up. Now, shaking it is good. That's exactly what we want. We want God to shake it up. This word shake, uh, just we don't need to spend too much time on it, but it means to, 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 to terrify something so greatly that it's shaking in its boot or to shake something violently. But usually what it means is to turn something upside down, to, completely, to do something completely new, completely different, something you never would have expected. And in fact, in this verse, it says, and, and the things that the world desires, the things that you need and for and the for them, in their case, it was the, the raw materials and the, the jewels, the gold, all the stuff they would need for the building of the temple. God says, now watch this. I'm going to shake things up so much, your very enemies, they're going to be providing for your needs. You know why? Because I own it all. God owns everything. 
what you need, what you have, what you don't have, what your neighbor has five times more what you have. God owns it all. He's in charge. He says, watch what happens when I shake it up. The only problem in this verse, he says, in a little while. (laughs) How much is a little while? I mean, when I read those words, I'm going to shake it up. I'm going to like, yeah, Jesus, shake it up. Yeah, Lord, shake it up. Bring it. We're ready. 2022, the year of shake it up. But then he throws in that in a little while. How long is a little while? The definition for that is a a, a time that is so insignificant that you're not supposed to be concerned about it. So what is God saying? Whether a little while is a couple days, a couple months, a couple years, it is not on you, it is not on me, it is not on us humans to worry about, to be concerned about. It is not of your concern how long it takes. Hold on to the fact that God will be shaking it up. And then finally, God resolves to make the future greater than the past. Look at verse 9. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. What? That, I mean, that can't happen. You remember what we said at the very beginning? We were describing this temple, this, this incredible temple of Solomon. It was, it was the largest building on the earth at that time. It was the most ornate, most expensive building on earth at that time. In fact, I don't know if you've even heard this, but besides all the jewels and the fancy wood and the marble and all those things, they say that up to half of the world's gold at that time, was present in the temple. Uh, Solomon had collected gold, had bought gold, had, had, had won gold from all over the world, brought it to the temple. By the end, they had nowhere to put the gold. They just started melting it and, and covering random things with gold, the pots and the pans and the dishes and the silverware. They even made the, they even made the, uh, the hinges of the doors out of gold. They didn't know what else to do with it. There was so much gold. So what is God saying? In this new house, this present house, there will be more gold than the former house? That's not what the Bible says, is it? The present house, the present house, the Bible says, will be greater than the glory of the former house. The glory will be greater, not the gold will be greater. Here's the deal. Yes, I personally believe 2022 is going to be a phenomenal year where we see God do all kinds of incredible things. He'll be shaking things up that we never thought could happen, things that, that we never thought would come or be a part of his Kingdom, I I believe he's going to shake that up. I believe that. But that doesn't mean that he's going to make it in your picture, in your idea. For those old timers that came back and remembered King Solomon's temple, they were thinking gold. They were thinking jewels. They were thinking pews. (laughs) They were thinking buildings. They were thinking all kinds of things because that's what they had out of their tradition, out of their memory, out of their former lives. And God said, no, 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 what's going to be greater is the glory, the glory. And how? Just in closing and understand this, he says, in this place, I will grant peace. Is that Old Testament, that famous Old Testament Hebrew word for peace, shalom. It's not just like a a peaceful, quiet evening. This is like when God takes your messed up, broken apart life and he begins moving all of those pieces back into place in such a way that when they all fit together just the way he intended it, you can finally in your 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 year old life say, I am at peace. And God says, I will be doing that in your house. 
that's the place people are going to come to experience that. Can you imagine what our, what our reputation, what our motto, can you imagine the line that's going to be going out the door? That doesn't mean in a, in a, in a physical place like a building. It means where, where our church, remember the church is a people, not a building. But wherever our church is, that's where God's going to be doing this kind of thing. I, I don't know if you're like me, but you know, you're driving down 41 and and, and you, know, you know Krispy Kreme's coming, but you're averting your eyes, you know, and, and then you, you happen to look up, and boom, that, that red hot now sign comes up. You say, well, what the heck? The kids will really appreciate this. You know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta pull in there, and, and, and then boom, and then you're stuck. You know, because like 97 other people saw the same light, and so you're stuck in the line. You can't get out. You're kind of already committed. I've already been here 45 minutes. I might as well say it can't be more than a couple more hours. So you're already committed can you imagine that would be the line outside of these doors? Or this would be the line outside of your house because where you are, that is the church. That will be the line outside of the youth group. That will be the line. People will be standing in line to experience the peace that you can only know through God who puts our lives back together in pure biblical shalom. That's what God is calling us to. Our best days are not behind us. The enemy of the best is the before. Do not look to the past. Look forward with God. Y'all know that I love uh, a good Baptist potluck. It, I come by it naturally. I grew up in a Baptist church downtown Miami, the same Baptist church my mom and dad grew up in. In our kitchen, uh, a lady named Miss Rosa volunteered. Miss Rosa was an incredible cook, but she could organize a potluck, a potluck like no one else. And she'd, she'd get all the food in one place, all the salads in another. She'd hold back the desserts for later. And as we make it through the line, we've gone by a time or two, she'd come out of the kitchen. She'd always say the same thing. Hold on to your forks. The best is coming. Folks, hold on to your forks. The best is coming. Let's pray. Father God, you are an incredible God. You love to shake things up in our world, in our community sometimes even in our own lives, our own families. But God, we love the fact that you don't throw away the old timers, the, the, the folks that have been around a while, the folks that are running a little rough and aren't quite as shiny as they used to be. But God, you take us and you pour into us and you command us to get strong and, and get repaired and seek out the filling of your spirit and the power that only you can give. So God, I pray that you would do that for us and in and through us. God, that this year, 2022, would be the year that we see this kind of moving, the resolve of your people and the resolve of our God can do. Thank you, Jesus, for men like Haggai and Ezra and even Nehemiah that were faithful years past. Because of their faithfulness, we now have the opportunity to continue to build on that same foundation. We pray for that, Lord. Build your kingdom in this city, using us along with your son, Jesus, as a foundation. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. 
Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.